You are listening to the Enormo Cast. When it comes to Sportiva, I often praise the longevity of their venerated classics like the Mira. Because, well, if it ain't Baroque, don't fix it. Italian Baroque, that is. But as we know, I'm a stick in the mud whose glory days are well behind him. But you, dear listener, still have your best days waiting to jump out at you like a puppy wearing a backpack full of caramel corn. So hey, forward thinkers, let's take a gander at what's new over at Sportiva.com. The redesigned Cantana Lace is an absolute edging machine. The updated Tarantula line provides comfort and performance at a price point for everybody. The TX2 Evo adds even more performance to Sportiva's stow-and-go approach shoes. And the new Mantra is a minimalist slipper so light and flowy, you'll swear you accidentally showed up to the gym in only your underwear. Just like in that dream you had last night. Don't worry, I just looked down too. So when it comes to keeping you thinking ahead, Sportiva is there with innovation at every turn. Why not see what's up and head over to Sportiva.com or follow them on Instagram. And remember, Sportiva is a proud sponsor of the EnormaCast. Listen, uh, uh, where are you playing in town? You, are you playing here? We're doing the uh, Enormo Dome, whatever it is. It's terrific. Oh, it's yeah, big place that side of town. That's a big place. You sold it out. I'll see. You really should. Look, you better get up there before you panic. Those pens are loose. You're very good. I have really enjoyed having them with you. We'll make it. I don't think so. But we shall continue with style. Today's show is brought to you by Black Diamond Equipment, La Sportiva, and with support from Maxim Ropes. Maxim has been keeping the normal cast off the deck since 2012. And don't forget our charter sponsor, Bonfire Coffee. Go to bonfirecoffee.com and enter Enorma at checkout for a discount on great coffee and to support the Enorma cast. And now back to the show. Hello and welcome to the EnormaCast. This is your host, Chris Kalous. It is about 10 o'clock on July 29th, 2022, and this is episode 246 of the EnormaCast, a conversation with Bronwyn Hodgins, or Bron, as she's known to her friends. And this is Bron's second appearance on the show. She was on the show circa 2019 with her husband, Jacob Cook. And after watching her evolve as a climber since that interview, and accomplishing some really incredible stuff, I decided that it was certainly time to catch up with Braun. And when she met Jacob, she was a novice climber. He was experienced. And though they fell in love and got married, it was also sort of a mentorship relationship. In the last few years, and recently, she's definitely come out from under that a little bit and uh, become this incredible climber in her own right a guide, going out and doing some adventures on her own, even though they still do incredible stuff together as well. So yeah, it was time to have Bron on again and just talk about some of the shit she's been doing, which is really mind-blowing where she's come as a climber. And something that's important to note about Bron is that her personality sort of belies the skills that she brings to the table. You know, she's pretty bubbly. She's fun to talk to. She's very self-deprecating. And yet she's tough as nails. She's one of the more determined climbers I've ever met. 
And her and Jacob and this crew of friends that she has goes as big as you can get on these giant whitewater slash climbing expeditions into the Arctic. Her background is in Arctic whitewater expeditions that she would do with her family. So she's got these skills that work out really well for doing logistics on giant expeditions. Her and Jacob and their crew are currently deep in Greenland. I just looked for some updates. There aren't any. They aren't spitting out any media while they're out there. We'll have to wait till they get home. They're kayaking up these fjords, looking for walls to climb, both fast and light and big wall expedition type stuff for a couple months. I don't know when we'll hear from them, but uh, maybe they'll throw something up to the satellite. You can follow along at Bronwyn Hodgins over there at Instagram or look up Jacob Cook. He had the last kind of post before they hit the water. Awesome stuff. Can't wait to hear what happens. All right. So let's catch up with Bronwyn Hodgins just before she slipped into the Arctic. Does how you get your stuff to the crag really matter that much? Couldn't you just throw it in a hefty bag and sling it over your shoulder or drag it up the trail to most cliffs just fine? Probably. But as long as we're on about things that don't matter, remember that the sun will eventually atomize the planet and suck it all into a black hole, including that beautiful rack you just finished accumulating. So does anything really matter? Well, disregarding that existential crisis, maybe it's time for a new pack from Black Diamond that looks better, carries better, and just says, I have my shit together. You can trust me. For starters, Black Diamond's Creek 50 has become a legendary all-day crag pack with haul bag durability and a smooth finish. The new Transit series takes the same sleek no flim flam design to the streets with tight little packs for your on-foot commute, rolling to the gym, travel, or just running down to the coffee shop to get internet and update your insta-face my tweet tick tube. Black Diamond also has mini packs for long routes, duffels for the gym, big packs for you kitchen sink types, lightweight running and alpine packs all the packs. And guess what? They even have climbing packs without ice axe loops. Most of us don't need the ice axe loops, you guys. So to get the right packs to do what you want and only what you want from the climbers at Black Diamond, go to blackdiamondequipment.com or your favorite local shop. Um, anyway, so yeah, I'm psyched that you, uh, that you did this. I know I had to badger you a little bit, but I you didn't mind. <laughs> I was just like watching your Instagram. Like, you got to take a rest day or something. Like, let's go. <laughs> oh man, I I take lots of rest days, but th- right now I just feel like I'm. I have so many like little or big, <laughs> big projects on the go that any rest day uh-huh. is taken up by like computer logistics and I don't know. Uh, a total rest day of just like relaxing is maybe something I haven't done in a while. Yeah, so I went ahead and reviewed our previous conversation, and it was from 2019, which it felt like longer ago, um, but I guess that's that's getting a while. But yeah, also, I would have guessed more like five years, but yeah, the other thing was is right that, after I climbed Freerider, I remember, and I think it was before we went to Baffin Island. Just yeah, before. you you guys had dropped your cash and were like ready to leave because we talked about how your stuff was out there waiting for you. Um, So yeah, you were on the verge of leaving for for Asgard on that trip. Yeah. And you told that great story, Freerider. And uh, yeah, so it was a fun conversation. I I, I was really happy to revisit it, actually. And I think one of the things that confuses us is that you and I and uh, and Jacob met um, a few years before that even. In my mind, it felt like longer ago because I was equating it with that. But but the interview didn't happen until quite a bit later. So that's kind of where it all, all went down. So, um, 
anyway, it's great to see you uh, on, and, and thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me back. It's yeah. it's kind of funny timing the the parallel between this chat and our last chat, um, because once again I have a large amount of equipment on its way to a faraway destination where I'm headed in a few weeks. Oh, is that <laughs> so right? So you catch me like right before I have like a huge story to tell. But um, okay, well, you, look, I just <laughs> went and reviewed a little bit about all the different things you've done since we talked, and that's kind of why I wanted to have you on for, mm-hmm. for a few reasons. Are you um are you willing to uh, uh sort of crack the secret on where you're going or is it like a heavy project you don't want to talk oh, about oh yeah yet? no 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 secrets uh yeah. yeah we are jacob and i and a few others are headed to the west coast of greenland um okay in about a month is thor months. going thor is not coming this time <sighs> actually sadly <laughs> but our friend jaren our friend jaren is coming and our new hashtag is jaren uh hashtag jaren is the new thor okay it's kind of an inside joke he has a similar personality so how's thor He's good. He actually moved okay. to BC. He lives on the island now. He's a little bit closer. Um, oh, cool. Working as All a right. school teacher. Yeah. So. Um, and he also um, is running his own tree planting business. So I think that's why he couldn't um, get away for the summer. Oh, he's adulting. <laughs> um. Anyway, but yeah, cool. Well, he he's a he was a major player in some of your other stories um, from that last podcast. But yeah, tell tell me yeah. a little bit about um. I mean, we'll do the Wayback Machine because it has been a few years since you did the Asgard trip. Um, although it took a while for the film to come out. Um, but it's been out for a little while too. But um, I mean, that seemed like it was a a pretty successful mission. Um, at least I, I watched the film just just the other day, and uh, you know, backed it up with what we had talked about on the podcast. Um. But it sounds like your plan pretty much nailed it. Is is that my my correct perception? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think we got incredibly lucky with the weather on mm-hmm. uh, on Baffin Island. Uh, we basically arrived, paddled up the fjord on this like crystal clear, calm ocean water, um, at which you know, it was kind of unexpected, made it up the fjord, hiked into the valley, hiked up to Mount Asgard, and basically right away, Jacob and I climbed Mount Asgard via a new route, less than a week into the the five-week expedition. And that was kind of like our main goal or hopeful goal for the whole trip. And we basically accomplished it like in the first quarter. Um, And then everything after that was bonus. I think as a team, we climbed seven major formations, four of them were first ascents. Yeah, basically just had spectacular weather a few storms but we kind of needed them to to force ourselves to rest anyways so oh um, that's awesome yeah i mean and to review that you know the trip was a self-propelled pack raft trip you started on the ocean into a fjord and then walked up to asgard and then dropped into another river and and stopped along the way down back to uh, where you started is that about sum it up yeah yeah totally so self-propelled i mean self-propelled from where you know the the airplane yeah, drops from, you in the in the Inuit community of Pangerton. Right, so right. Um, obviously there's there's like transportation involved, but um, yeah, from Pangerton we pack rafted up the ocean fjord uh, into the mountainous valley, climb Mount Asgard and a few other peaks, and then headed down the Weasel River um, by pack raft, which had some fun white water, and uh, climb Mount Thor, which was about halfway down the river as well, and a couple other formations along the way and then ended back in Bangerton. Yeah. What a sick trip. 40 and, days. Yeah. I was, I was really stoked on the weather actually. And when I was watching the film, cause there were some shots where it's just like bluebird uh, mm-hmm. skies and stuff. And yeah, you just incredible. don't see a ton of that. 
we're above the above the Arctic Circle there too, so it was like twenty four hour daylight. Yeah, twenty four um, hour bluebird, right? Yeah, <laughs> which when you're in the mountains is incredible because we don't you don't really need to work on this like twenty four hour schedule. You can right. kind of just like start a huge mountain mission at at noon after a really good night's sleep and climb until you get to the top and then descend until you get to the bottom and come back to camp at whatever hour you're at and sleep then for a full you know night and a half of sleep <laughs> and then and then do it again yeah we talked about the cirque on the last show too and and uh having been up there i remember kind of like you just sort of lose track of time too and you know we were doing a wall so we could stop anytime um you know we're up there for days and and we i don't know i kept just getting so wrecked and i i would be like you know my my clock was so screwed up that I would have thought we had been climbing for eight hours and we'd been climbing for 17 hours kind of a thing. It was like a, you know, like, why am I so wrecked? You know, why am I so tired? And it's like, well, yeah, because the sun hasn't moved doesn't mean that hours <laughs> haven't passed, you know, um, but that was nice, my only though, time. It takes away that kind of those constraints a little bit. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, you had a shot in the film where the sun was about as low as it was going to get and it was just like right on the horizon. And then, um, and then, yeah. yeah, I remember how it just like the parabola goes the other way and it just comes right back up, mm -hmm. um, over the next few hours. So, um, um yeah, that, it, it is pretty wild. So what's your, uh, mission? I mean, more specifically in Greenland. Yeah. Um, so our plan is we are, uh, starting in Umanak, which is a small, um, coastal community and, we are sea kayaking in inflatable sea kayaks from Umanak to Upernavik, which is about 400 kilometers, mostly of kind of inland fjords. There's not really any open ocean paddling, which is good. It makes it safer. These fjords will definitely be, you know, there'll be icebergs um, and <laughs> Arctic waters. And it's also polar bear country, whereas Baffin Island, that area wasn't really. Um, so this time we'll be doing all the polar bear precautions, um, which is a little scary. And uh, yeah, so sea kayaking between Umanak and Upernavik, um, and there's just these huge cliffs rising out of the ocean, basically along the entire route. There have been expeditions to the area before, kind of expeditions to each zone, often by sailboat. I don't know of anyone who's connected these two zones, so we'll be taking this kind of back route up this fjord that I don't think anyone, definitely no climbers have traveled there before. Um, uh -huh. and and seeing what we see and and climbing the <laughs> climbing the cliffs we have a few a few ideas of what cliffs in mind a combination of talking to people who have been there before and and uh looking closely mm -hmm. at the high resolution of google earth yeah i can only m imagine that nico and his crew have been there right mm -hmm. yep, yeah definitely <laughs> yeah by sailboat yeah yeah exactly so yeah th to those put guys... up some, there's huge i mean like l cap right. size like 800 meter you know, granite walls rising right out of the ocean all the way along that coastline. So pretty excited about that. And so you're, um, you've got a cache going in as well this time? Yeah, we do. So the plan is it's kind of like two expeditions in one. We have this through route, which should take us about a month. Um, and on that, uh, we will just have like fast and light kind of alpine style climbing equipment. And then once we get to near the end of that trip we will we have a cache with all of our big wall equipment and right. a kind of reload of food a restock of food and at that point we have uh have our eyes on a, a big wall that we are probably going to try and get the yeah try and get the first free ascent of this big cliff and climb it capsule style kind of with uh port ledges and all the big wall equipment and camp on the wall for a week or two 
And that's towards the end? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that'll All be right. kind of the second month. Right. Um, doing so that two months. Or so. Mm-hmm. That's so amazing. Big, like big journey with these Alpine missions and then a big wall mission. Yeah, it's 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 pretty cool. I mean, it's it, you guys are. I don't know if you. Uh, I would go as far as to say inventing this style, but definitely sort of pushing, pushing the limits of what's possible and the imagination as well of this, you know, floating in by hand, if you will, you know, and having all your gear with you or or having these caches, you know, it it takes an incredible amount of planning, and that was one of the things mm-hmm. that I was super impressed with you know and like you said you got lucky and and luck is always part of it as far as of course the weather but the way the pieces fit together on that asgard thing were um were was pretty impressive you know and and but you have this you have this background in this whitewater um expedition world that may not be obvious you know to people who know you from climbing um we talked a bit about it last time but but fill us in on you know your your sort of background and your family background with these type of big at least whitewater trips yeah um so i grew up in a family that was very outdoorsy um my parents were river guides northern river guides in canada that's how they met um and so we just grew up doing like all sorts of camping hiking canoeing skiing um backpacking and then I um, also was a river guide for seven seasons um, before I became a rock guide. And I would guide these one month to two month sort of long exploratory river expeditions, essentially, um, kind of all over Canada. And so for me, it's really fun now that I'm like completely obsessed with rock climbing to kind of take that background of um, kind of the menu planning, the logistics planning of of just like how to support yourself in a really remote location for a month or two, and apply that to these big climbing expeditions. Yeah, and it's an impressive skill set, really. You know, and it's again, it's like these expeditions are probably you know, all the better for having you along in terms of that, because I think climbers have to learn all that stuff from experience. Like once, once they become climbers and, um, you know, to have you have both skills is, is a, is a pretty heavy skill set that that's, uh, probably appreciated a great deal in your crew. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's it's helpful. <laughs> so when you mentioned the polar bear thing, uh, what is, you know, when you say polar bear precautions, <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> What exactly does that look like? Um, so and, we'll and where having, have you learned that? Yeah, we'll be having um, a, a tripwire fence around our camp every night. Um, that kind of, that sets off sets off an alarm. So I think the kind of most dangerous time for an encounter is when you're sleeping because you, you're caught unaware. So that will set off an alarm to to wake us up. Uh, and we will also be bringing a gun with us and Jaren on the team has a has like a background in hunting so he'll kind of be the the head like gun man if it comes to that right. um but we'll start with like making lots of noise and we have some bear spray and doing the sort of try and scare it away first method if we do come across one mm-hmm. yeah. are there sections of the trip that that it's sort of more of a problem than others are you aware yeah. of like so it seems like the polar bears are basically a problem on the in the fjords when there's ice because then they come down onto the ice to mm-hmm. to hunt for seals and so it's more of a problem in the winter um and and spring fall some are less so because the ice recedes so then the polar bears go up onto the mainland um, but anytime we're paddling and there's ice coming like down to the water that's kind of like an access point for them it also seems that there are more commonly sightings in the northern part of our trip than the southern 
And I, I don't exactly know why, just talking to the locals. It seems to be more of a problem around Upernavik than Umanek. It's no joke, right? Like we're dealing with black bears and shit around here. And like, you know, the 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 polar bear is on top of that pyramid of of aggressiveness, I think, even past grizzlies. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, it's no yeah, joke. That's why I wanted to ask you about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, and Jacob had a real problem with the bugs. How's he feeling about the polar bears? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, different, different game. <laughs> I just kind of want to go down like the greatest hits and, and have you tell some stories um, <laughs> okay, if you yeah. don't mind. Um, yeah, one of the one of the interesting things, again, listening back to that other other podcast is at that point, Jacob had gone down to El Gavilan in, in Mexico and you actually guys um, and he had climbed uh, the original route on there, the Jeff Jackson route and had been talking about how terrible the gear was. And that was the end of it then. And then um, you guys have gone on to be like big developers down there and in fact you took on the task of rebolting that that route and um you know maybe go sort of blow by blow with how um you guys got so enchanted with it yeah totally um so this is yeah a cool discussion to have on here um this uh this cliff la popa in the mexican desert is somewhere jacob and i have spent a lot of time over the the recent years and we first heard about that this cliff um from your podcast so the episode with jeff jackson which i think was like right at the start of your of, of the yeah podcast. i think it's 19 actually um, you had jeff on the show and he was telling these wild stories about his experience on on the on la popa and putting up the the first route on the cliff el gavilan um which he did it took him three seasons to put up he first went ground up with various partners uh, to establish the route uh, and then came back and managed to free climb it um, kind of in a three-year timeline, like in the late 90s. And yeah, the the way he describes the cliff, like this insanely overhanging limestone wall in the desert, tufa, knee bar, <laughs> like st- steep sport climbing, but for 10 pitches. Yeah, definitely like captivated at the time Jacob's attention. I mean, when when we were listening to that podcast, I, I wasn't like, I was just kind of still getting into climbing, I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I was still a pretty beginner uh, in the world of rock climbing. But yeah, this idea of this remote cliff in the desert that also had these we- these kind of weird stories around it. Like, Jeff, Jeff's kind of like a, a storyteller. Um, I think he's actually like a professor of storytelling. But yeah, he sort of told these stories of, of these legends uh, that that the the locals had told him sightings of mummies the mummies of monterey that that walked the desert at night and and like also like shape-shifting horse people or like yeah the people who shift from from human to animal um by day by night uh and all these <laughs> these kind of like crazy stories and sort of almost like spooky ghost tales of of that area yeah i mean he didn't just hear these stories he ha- he has yeah he has claimed, his own experiences he, of he has claimed to have witnessed things. many of these things, <laughs> yeah but. totally um, yeah. Well, it's funny how many supernatural experiences he's had in Hawaii now, um, where mm. he lives in Maui now, and um, turns out that yeah, he's seen all sorts of uh, shit like that there too. So I don't know if that's a coincidence or you know if the you know he's just one of those magnets for paranormal activity. Uh, but nevertheless, um, but yeah, how did, nevertheless, how did the story sounded awesome. There, the yeah. cliff sounded awesome, <laughs> and it was yeah probably another f- at least five years or so before before Jacob made it out to the cliff. 
Um, and he and Tony tr- uh, climbed up El Gavilan. Yeah, got super freaked out, said the bolts were really old and rusty. They did manage to get to the top. They didn't free climb it. They were pretty scared to fall and the bolts were kind of aiding. Jacob says he would like climb past the anchor to get to the next bolt to like equalize that bolt into the anchor system. So they had like more things that they were attached to. But they said the route was incredible, like steep, wildly exposed, really fun rock climbing. And they ended up establishing another route um, on the cliff. So yeah, here talking to Jacob about that, uh, I became interested in the route. I love, I love all styles of climbing, but possibly my favorite might be like steep tufa limestone sport climbing <laughs> with like two knee pads and just like using your whole body and these kind of 3D roofs. And, and I love big wall climbing and sort of big wall free climbing projects. So this wall just sort of seemed like the combination of both of those things. And so, yeah, I got um, a few people together who were interested in joining me. We went down to the cliff and sort of started fixing it up. Decided I was going to replace all the bolts on El Gavilan to make it a make it a safe climb, kind of bring it back to life. And that season, I guess it like proved a lot more challenging logistically than I was expecting. Um, just like getting out there is pretty tough, and finding partners who wanted to go out there also like was kind of tough um, which is funny because i i have since talked to jeff about this and he says the same thing it's like no one wanted to go out there with me um, and just like i also didn't have all the skills like i didn't know how to pull an old bolt out of a rock like i hadn't retrofitted a, a like bolted climb before um i'd done a little bit of like bolting first ascent stuff but not much um and yeah so we ended up kind of finishing about half the route that year kind of unfinished and then COVID happened so I didn't make it back down till this past winter and this time I came with like a crew of people a very solid plan my friend Kelsey um who's a like childhood friend of mine um and also quite a strong rock climber who was going to send the route with me and kind of work the work the beta together and then try and get the the sort of first female ascent of this cliff at the end of the project and yeah, it just like went a lot smoother. We were there for three weeks and basically just everything went to plan. Finished the route, finished the bolting, established a new rappel route to access it. And, and then Kelsey and I both sent the, sent the route. So it's, it's ready. It's all cleaned up and, and ready for anyone who wants to go down there. Um, and you guys also figured out a way to get to the top, it, it, I think is an important part of the story. Because, um, mm-hmm. of course, the original part of the whole thing is how far you have to go through, like, just cactus wasteland um, to get to it. Uh, yeah, so it, it so seems way, like you've yeah. improved that a lot as well. Mm-hmm. The way Jeff, like, tells the story of the approach, it's like, you drive to the end of the road and you find the hermit that lives at the end of the road and the hermit gives you a donkey and takes you on this like four hour trek through the cactus like up to the cliff and and so we actually like avoided all of that by just driving around to the backside of the cliff where there's actually a, a small town um with a handful of people living there there's a water hole there so i guess they can kind of survive i mean it's, it's still like middle of the desert and on the backside there's actually now a a, like radio tower of sorts like on the summit of the cliff so there's there's actually like a rough road essentially you couldn't really drive up it without a like serious off-road vehicle but there is like a, a kind of steep road up the backside that we can park and then hike up for a much easier access yeah no no cactus bushwhacking and it's it's about a 
maybe hour and a half walk. Is there a hermit involved? With <laughs> There's that no approach? hermit, no. <laughs> but we did we did still hire donkeys. So there is a guy in the town okay. in the town that has a donkey. Um, and we did water is like quite a challenge to get enough water up there. And so we had a donkey like bring us a few loads of water while we were up there. So has that route uh, gained any popularity? Do you know anyone who's gone down and, and clipped your new bolts yet? Yeah, totally. Yeah. So um, we finished that up around Christmas time this year. Um, and then Jacob and our friend Drew went went down there kind of right around that time. Jacob actually filmed um, filmed Kelsey and I when we sent the route. And we're, we're in the process of making a making a film about this uh, as well. But I'm giving it all away. <laughs> um, and... Uh, and then Jacob and Drew stayed for the month of January, and they established another route right beside El Gavilan, equally as steep, equally as sustained, and slightly harder, mm-hmm. all fully bolted. Um, El Gavilan is pretty much sustained at 12 plus with a 13A, and their route is pretty sustained at 12 plus 13 minus with a 13B. And uh, during that time, I think Drew climbed El Gavilan um, with, a, with another partner, and Drew and Jacob sent their line. And then our friend Hayden Jameson, a friend from Salt Lake, got really excited about the two routes on the cliff and went down for a trip and sent both of them in March. Uh, nice. Camped out there for 10 days and, yeah, wrapped into the to Algavalan, sent that route, had a few rest days on top, worked worked the pitches on the new route, uh, Los Nojales. Yeah. yeah, the the shape shifting horse people. Sure, Wahales, um, is the name of Jacob's route, uh, and then Hayden and his partner Dalen then sent that one as well in the same trip, and came nice. back uh, saying they were like up there with their favorite multi bitch routes of their lives. So pretty good reviews so far. <laughs> yeah, actually, I know some folks. Um, well, actually, uh, uh, my you know Andrew over at the Runout, he he actually did an early ascent of El Gavilan. Um, but it wasn't so early that the 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 stuff wasn't already rusted. I think I think Jeff just used really garbage hardware because um, this <laughs> yeah, was quite I a mean, while was, back, and he still said yeah. it was really gross. So yeah, yeah, they yeah. like didn't even have there aren't even bolts like on the anchors. They just have like really tiny like rusted chain links that they've like like hit into the rock. Um, yeah, yeah. So I during the process of of uh, making this film about the route with my friend Savannah Cummins. She was out there kind of documenting mm-hmm. it with her camera both seasons, actually. And we're kind of making a film. So we got the chance to interview like all of the characters who have been out to that cliff. Had a, a very entertaining interview with Jeff Jackson, retelling all the stories again that, that you heard on the podcast. Um, and then got the chance to talk to, yeah, it was Andrew Bishret, right. Speed, and Dan Mursky that went out there and tried to get the second ascent um, and basically, it sounds like they just got spooked off, spooked by the the hardware, maybe kind of the remoteness. The, the I think they pulled off some rocks. Um, they ended up bailing. Did he tell you the funny story about his uh, encounter with the hermit? Uh, those guys, Andrew. Up, yeah, we brought him the wrong fruit. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. So miraculously, I think they were there a decade or so after Jeff. Right. And Jeff tells them like. Oh, there's only one way to get to the cliff. You have to find Luciano, the hermit that lives <laughs> in Arroyo in the side of the, ro- uh, the in the side of the wash. And they're like, "Yeah, yeah, Jeff, whatever." Like the hermit's probably like moved on. And so they arrive here to, like a decade later, and sure enough, moved Luciano on. is still living <laughs> living in the hole in the side of the in the side of the mud. And the same guy, you know, a decade later, later remembers Jeff and uh, 
and hikes the next round of climbers like up to this remote cliff. Yeah, and Andrew tells the story that uh, that uh, was it bananas he, that I think. Yeah, well, he like he wanted. Yeah, Jeff. He wanted oranges. Wanted like wanted oranges, but oh yeah, Andrew brought him bananas. I think. Yeah, Yeah. that that Jeff had this clear memory, like distinct memory that the 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 hermit Luciano really liked oranges, and he was and uh, he told Andrew this, and so Andrew like. (laughs) <laughs> yeah with his like I think lost it, there was some like lost, tra- lost in Spanish yeah. translation yeah, yeah, yeah. he was like thinking right. that he meant naranjas and um, which is actually uh, that is oranges and he he thought that meant he bananas. bananas and Naranjas, so then he like, bananas. Yeah. <laughs> he like showed up and gifted the hermit these bananas and told him <laughs> that he had naranjas for him uh, and the hermit got all excited, and then he pulls out his bananas, and yeah. <laughs> he said, "The face of Luciano when he when he recognized that it was actually bananas, like his face kind of dropped in sadness." Yeah. <laughs> yeah so uh, sadly, uh, we didn't get a chance to meet um, Luciano. But, yeah, who uh, knows if he's quote unquote moved on yet or not? Yeah. Um, it sounded like he but, was pretty old and in, at that yeah, time, so not yeah. sure. So, so um, one last question though is like, are these people in this town or this little village or whatever? Are they kind of like, why are all these people suddenly showing up and hiking up to the top of this thing? I mean, did you get any sense of that, or did they no. understand like the <clears throat> the whole climbing potential thing? Yeah, I mean, they definitely didn't really understand what we were doing up there. Um, <laughs> But it's, I mean, it's still not very many people. Right. So over, you know, I mean, we've been out there a handful of times over the past couple of years. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's not about, to, it's not having like crowds of climbers aren't like showing up at the base. That's, that's for sure. It's kind of Jacob and I and a handful of friends um, here and there. Yeah, but you guys are going to blow it up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, wait till next film. season. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it's like all these places I, you know, 20 years ago, I was like, this place will never get crowded. It's like, mm, yeah, I don't know. Because, I mean, you know, it's like there's a lot of climbers and a lot of adventurous climbers that, um, but, you, but you're right. There isn't like a margarita stand at the mouth of uh, the canyon like like in Petrera. So, yeah, for sure. you know, it's like but, <laughs> it's missing yeah, some essentials. I mean, <laughs> and I do, I do think that the the climb is like very high quality, like and pretty unique in anything I've seen before. And I, I, mean, I, I think that it. it's I kind of a cool it. like challenge to kind of add on um, to Petrero. I mean, it's only a few hours from Petrero, right. um, like you access it from there. And I think more and more climbers are arriving in Petrero and climbing, you know, Sendero Luminoso, like fifteen pitch twelve pluses. And I think that. You know, going down to Petrero and trying to do El Gavilan and Sendero Luminoso. Like, you're essentially mm-hmm. doing these, like, two limestone big routes and of, like, anti-styles. If you can do Sendero Luminoso, this, like, 15-pitch vertical to slab um, 12+. Plus, and this 9-pitch super overhanging Tufud 13A. I don't know. You've kind of, like, covered all your bases for, for a... Like limestone, big root climbing could be kind of a yeah, cool package. That, that sounds like a good package, and I mean it's 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 intriguing. I mean, even to me, because you know, like a European trip for someone like myself who's a dad and has a six year old, and you know, you've got to factor in like going over there and and having the time zone difference. So you're gonna have jet lag and all that sort of thing, and you know, 
it sounds like now that you've got these things worked out, it's it could be a pretty good quick hit that's not as expensive and right here in North America and same time zones and you yeah, know. Yeah, for sure. So I, I think mean, I mean Hayden I, I, I want to go down. So his whole trip was ten days. I think Hayden. I mean, he's also a very strong rock climber and like was able to send both routes in ten days. Like, um, yeah, not everyone can go and do that. But if you're only going to try one of them, I mean, camp out there for a few days. Yeah, especially yeah, if you're not seems... bothered about necessarily sending. Um, you just mm-hmm. go out there and see how well you do. Climb so the triumvirate, then the sort of northern Mexico triumvirate, if you added in the logical progression, there you go. Sendero, El Gavilan, logical progression in one trip. Yeah, and that one's bigger and harder <laughs> for sure, but yeah, it's kind of on your um, Cool. Well, um, I'm, I'm stoked and I definitely want to go down and do it. I've got two friends that that are, are, are interested. Um, nice. so yeah, um, you got I'll, this story going. You, you're like a part of the story there. Chris. I'm a part of the story. I know I got to <laughs> go do it. Um, so, well, um, what should we move to now? Because, um, there's, there's some other stuff on my list. I've got coach Mo, I've got golden gate. You have this brief visit to the ghost river. Speaking of someone somewhere, I'm part of the story <laughs> that I wanted to ask you about. I mean, mm-hmm. Squamish, like what's next? What do you want to talk about? Oh, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I'm sure we'll cover all of them. Um, well, we're, we're going to eventually run out of time before we run out of adventures, I think. <laughs> but um, I mean, that's that's yeah. I think I'd be excited to talk about thing. Golden Gate. That's definitely like yeah. the thing in my climbing that I'm still like the most sort of proud of, I guess, and like still kind of riding the the probably like psych about that one, even though it's it's been a year. Yeah. Well, let me let me preface that with um, you know, talking about free rider. You had I think three attempts. Like two really major ones, and then you sent with Jacob. I think on that it was kind of a long saga going up there and 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 bashing your head against it, and finally getting it done. And it seemed like the process for Golden Gate just showed how much you've grown as a climber, not just your abilities on the rock, but your abilities to deal with a big wall. Seems like um, sort of all came together. Yeah, it was definitely a very different experience from from Freerider. Yeah, I just like came about it, uh, went about it with sort of a, a pretty structured plan that I created for myself and attacked the plan and it kind of just worked out perfectly. So free, I guess people kind of know what Freerider and Golden Gate are. I mean, Freerider is 32 pitches and it has one 13A. Most people have seen Free Solo, um, heard about Alex uh, soloing it in four hours, um, but most people climb it in like five days or so. And then Golden Gate If they've Gate listened is, to this, if they've listened to the Enorma cast, they They've heard about the free rider, I yeah. assure you. <laughs> and then Golden Gate is like a paralleling <laughs> route that's uh, that has four uh, 13A pitches, uh, and all the 13A pitches are in the top half of the route. It definitely like felt like a lot harder than free rider, just because you need to be a lot more strategic. Like, there's not just one pitch that I needed to kind of worry about, like one crux pitch. There were these four crux pitches, and so essentially, what the like game becomes is you have to send each of these crux pitches without using very much time or energy because then you have to do the next one and then you still have to do the next one and then you still have to do the next one. Um, so it's not only like, can you send uh, a 13A like high up on a big wall, but can you send multiple 13As like one a day for, for multiple days in a row? And so I guess I decided in the fall, like around September, that I wanted to try Golden Gate in the spring. Uh, and I kind of set myself like a six-month training plan which basically meant going sport climbing, which was sounded pretty fun. <laughs> um, uh, but it was like pretty focused sport climbing. 
So going, uh, yeah, what I was just talking about, where I knew I had to basically send 13A as quickly and as efficiently as possible, um, because up on the wall, like, I, I wouldn't have time or energy to spare. They had to be, like, executed perfectly, kind of right and away. skin. Um, yeah, skin. yeah, totally. I didn't mention that. That's another factor. Yeah, for so yeah, many not, reasons that you need to... Yeah. Yeah, the pitches yes. are all super crimpy, actually. That's a yeah. I I remember point. skin being such an issue. Oh yeah, on you those, you those also have been up Golden Gate, haven't you? Yeah, but not in any capacity <laughs> that really involved using my skin that much. Um, <laughs> but I remember like getting my my skin completely roached on the bowler problem on Freerider. So mm-hmm. you know, and you're only halfway up at that point too. But yeah, yeah. I mean, just these the factors that like don't get in. Oh, you have to. Put yeah, into I think you press, have to get you know? really nerdy about it. Like you bring a I bring a skincare kit. They talked about this on the Don mm-hmm. Wall, but. It's definitely like a real thing. You pack a skincare kit as part of your big wall essentials, like big wall free climbing essentials. And that'll have things like baby wipes to wash your hands every day and climbing salve to make sure your like skin is kind of recovering. And then uh, nail clippers, skin files to kind of get a, if you're starting to develop a bit of a edge or a something on your tips and to kind of file it down so it doesn't turn into a split you have to be like preemptive with that and and not let it get ahead of you yeah and i think that route too as i was um and i've you know this has been on the podcast before too but um it's just it's just way less straightforward aside from the the harder grades you know the free rider is like you know you're in these massive systems that go on and on and on and you follow them basically to the top other than the traverse pitch and and there's like all this shenanigans sideways downwards um that goes into that climb i think that makes it a way more logistically difficult thing as well yeah golden gate has four down climbs mm-hmm. which is like kind of a funny thing to be doing when you're free climbing um these like down climb pitches that connect this the systems to like make the free the free line go well and i always i felt too like like I felt really, I mean, we had really bad weather, so we were like, you know, doing this with all these clouds rolling around and shit. But when I, when you leave, you know, when you leave the, the South Day or whatever free rider and go right, like I felt really committed, you know, and I know there's a way down and I was aware of like, you can like, you know, string this stuff together, but it still yeah, just yeah. felt, it, it felt really nervy to leave that, like, again, that system, that system that runs to the top, that's real clear and like, and, okay, and here I mean, we you go. Can repel free you know? rider at any point, people repel yeah. free rider all the time. Um, to yeah. So I just, things. I remember psychologically, like leaving that felt like, okay, here we go. <laughs> and of course, like the very next day it rained for like two days straight. So oh, like, no. while we were like bivied somewhere at the end of that, those traversing pitches. Oh man, so, I had like the opposite problem. We went up there in a heat wave and it was so oh, yeah. hot. Basically, I was waking up at five every morning and anyone who knows me, I'm like super not a morning person. <laughs> but it was like the only way the sun came onto the wall at noon. Mm-hmm. And so we would try and get as much covered, as much distance covered uh, before noon. And as soon as the sun hit, we got our tarp out. The tarp was like the most useful item on the whole of the whole wall um, we would get our tarp out make a sun shelter make a camp um have a mm. siesta just like hang out all afternoon not moving at all just like hydrating and eating food and well and getting to know each other because i also that's the other thing about this route is the guy i went up there with danford yesta he i met him like two days before um, oh really <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't didn't actually know each other at all. So the the siestas were like, oh, like, so where are you from? Like, um, <laughs> <laughs> tell me your name again. 
<laughs> yeah, so it's like get to know you time. Uh, and then we would pack up the tarp in the evening and try and get a few more pitches at right. dusk. Um, and so, so did you I spend mean, some time working it? I did, yeah. Yeah. Um, I arrived in the valley, I think, sometime in April, mid-April. Um, and I spent three weeks, like, camping on the camping on the top and wrapping in to, to uh, kind of rehearse the, the crux, the, like, highest crux pitches. Um, mm-hmm. Mostly the move pitch. Um, I was, like, pretty worried about the move pitch. It was supposed to be, like, substantially harder if you're short. And both, like, the other only other two women to have climbed the route before, Hazel and Emily, both had, like, a really tough time on that pitch. I think Hazel even wrote, like, a whole blog about it. And, like, those two women in rock climbing are kind of, like, in a totally different league of um, climbing than, like, where I'd put myself. Um, yeah, that's not encouraging when Hazel Finley's like, fuck, that thing was hard. Yeah, I know, exactly. <laughs> she wrote, like, a whole blog post about, the, like, the challenges of this pitch. I'm like, who am I to, like, think I can just, like, climb this pitch? And and also, like, Emily had a meltdown on it. I mean, that was also, you know, she had other things going on. It was, like, I think her first time up Cap. But, yeah, so I was, like, pretty concerned about the move pitch, and I camped up on the top, wrapped in. It's, like, 300 meters down to there, so I had 300 meters of static rope. Which is like a mission in itself, just to like even access these pitches to work them. It's not like a single pitch crag project. And yeah, I had as much trouble as I expected to have on this pitch. Um, it was the third session, like the third time wrapping in and trying it before I actually like did the move. And that was like the move in isolation. And this was like a move that I was expecting to do linked into this boulder problem at the top of this really sustained 512 pitch on like day five or six of this big wall. So I definitely had like a lot of self-talk and like kind of like mental struggles with like deciding to continue at that point, just because like, (laughs) sure, I did this move like a couple times on my third session, but it still felt like a max boulder move for me. And like to be able to do that in, in this like environment that I was just describing seemed like it was going to be really challenging. So I went back up there again tried it for another session, managed to do the move, I think, six times that day, and did manage to, like, link the boulder together. Not from the bottom of the pitch, but the actual boulder I managed to link. Still seemed, like, pretty maybe unlikely to happen on day five or six of the wall. But yeah, at that point, I kind of decided that my time in the season was kind of ending. Um, I either needed to just give up on the idea, train more, and come back another season, or just, like, give it a try anyways. And so I just, like, decided to try it anyways, thought there wasn't any like there wasn't really anything to lose i had water stashed at the crux pitches at the top if i ended up taking a long time needing more days and yeah i kind of just like set off with the idea that either i send now or this is like a really good practice mission for me to come back um better and stronger like in in the fall when you're working on that stuff and i've, I've never asked anybody else this either is is it pure mini tractioning or do you were was part of your training to pull pull a rope and try to lead them Actually, because, yeah, if I was there by myself, I could microtrax it. Um, because I did end up finding partners, I did most of the time just have a belay. Um, okay. And just get belayed from, from above. I, it was right. just, like, way easier to, and, like, way less committing to kind of have ropes mm-hmm. fixed down to the pitch and then just get lowered in and, and try it on, like, a top belay. Did you ever try leading them? Uh, no, I didn't, actually. Okay. No. Yeah. Um, I except, don't think that's common. Yeah. But... The, the, uh, the A5 Traverse, I actually only tried it, like, a couple times. It's, I think, a little bit logistically easier to um, to lead it than follow it. 
because of right. the way. But yeah, I mean, it's the same. It's a traverse. You're, you're swinging yeah, onto the I peg. I was just curious. Tell me about like how you felt in terms of, of approaching these pitches. And then, yeah, I, I mean, it sounds like you probably at least surprised yourself on the, on the, uh, the move pitch. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. To kind of like set, set the tone of like where I was at this point. So I spent the winter, um, like sport climbing and kind of like training my mind to be able to execute pitches that were really hard for me, like very quickly. Um, and so like getting really nerdy about like visualization and focus and trying to essentially like go up a pitch one time, like a 13 a 13 B like one time coming down and being able to visualize the whole thing in my head, like every move, every hand, every foot, and then like recovering, drinking water, like making sure I'm completely rested and then having this like perfect execution second go. And if it didn't happen on the second go, like figure out what went wrong, come down and then this, and then have like another perfectly executed third go and try and get it on the third go. And just like, as part of that training, my mind, I also like, like the, the, like, physical training came as a side effect. Like it meant I was just getting huge mileage on 13 minus like all winter. Um, so I didn't really need to worry about like physical training. I'm more like focused on this mental training because I knew that I had to send when it, when I had to send, like I wouldn't have time to kind of fluff around. Um, and so I thought that like the mental training was actually going to be like the most important thing for me to have a chance at success on this route. Um, so then when I was actually there, basically it, it like it paid off. So when I actually arrived at the move pitch, I'd never done it on lead. I'd never linked the pitch on top rope, um, but I had a sequence. I knew exactly what to do for the entire pitch. And I could like sit on the port ledge, look up at the pitch and just run it, play it like in real time in my head. And so when I actually pulled on, I think it was, yeah, it was in the evening. I climbed all the way right up into the boulder problem and sent the boulder problem, L literally just sent it like first try. And then, and then in the like outro to the boulder problem, I, my foot slipped and I think that I was just so shocked that I'd essentially sent like I'd sent the thing on on Lee the first right. try and even like all this like think that I'm like very level-headed and able to like train myself not to do that but I'm not perfect at it and uh, my foot slipped after the boulder problem and I was like oh my gosh like what um and then came down Danford had a play on the pitch while I rested and then I put my headlamp on and sent it second try so um it was just like, it still felt extremely hard. I had to try like, you know, I, people say it's like a, at least, I, I don't know. I mean, it still felt like a limit boulder problem for me, but it just like executed perfectly and both times actually. And then that second go, I managed to keep going to the chains. That's awesome. I mean, it, it, it sounds like that mental training then helped furthermore that you were able to be like, all right, that's fine. Yeah, you know, yeah, totally. I, I just blew it, but I, you know, like, because a lot of people, especially if you gave everything you had, you'd be like, ah, oh, fuck, I'm done now, you yeah. know? I mean, I'd I would be, like, be well, that was sure. it. I messed up. That like, was it. Oh, well, let's get out of here. Yeah, oh, wait, yeah. we can't really get out of here. I guess. <laughs> yeah, totally. It's going to be really hard to get out of here. Let's uh, let's try it again, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, totally. I was able so to just, like, blow is, that off and, like, focus the second time. Did you devise this, uh, this um, training yourself, or did you get some advice um, I mean, I definitely talked to Jacob a lot about it. Um, okay. But I, yeah, no, it's, it was just like, it wasn't like a professional, um, the professional no, I didn't have any, like, whispering in your ear or anything or like that. else involved really. Right. Um, yeah, I think even throughout instincts. the entire training plan, I also struggled a lot with like self doubt and like the whole time I was like 
training. I was like, maybe I'm just like having fun sport climbing and like this whole thing is too much and I'll, I won't even try it. Right. I don't know. I had to like talk myself into it on, on like multiple times. So maybe <laughs> I didn't like believe it was a real goal necessarily until it was happening. Then how'd you uh, send the rest? I'm, yeah, I, I um, mean, I, I remember thinking that that pitch was like extraordinarily harder than, than mm-hmm. the other ones. I mean, the down climb aside, because that's like... It's even hard to define. What, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, why I, that I thing's hard and stuff like that. Yeah, the yeah. the the down climb. In hindsight, I actually am unsure which move I actually think is harder: the move on the down right. climb or the move on the move. I found the down climb really hard, and yeah, it's this bizarre, like basically like a down mantle. It's like a like a few move down mantle on a slab that gets thirteen a. And it's just, like, so puzzling. I actually, like, didn't really have a chance to practice that one at all. It's, like, mm-hmm. smack in the middle of Elkab. Um, So instead, what I did was stash a lot of water there and camped there for two days. I had a rest day there and camped there for two days trying it. So uh, that just, like, allowed myself to basically do the full process of, like, going on it, figuring out the sequence, and then executing the sequence over the course of those three days. And yeah, I, I mean, that was maybe the most shocking moment of the whole climb when I actually sent that pitch. So that kind of set the tone for the rest of it. So I, That's awesome. I mean, at that point, I was like, didn't know if I could send the above stuff, but I knew what, what they were. And the <laughs> down climb was just this huge unknown. Um, it's, it's amazing you found a partner that would do that with you. <laughs> like you only met two yeah. days before. Like, we're just yeah. going to fucking, we're just going to sit here for three days while you basically top rope me down this pitch. Because it's like... <laughs> yeah. You know, it, oh man, it's I, was abs- so lucky. I mean, it's like I was a little so bit sideways, weird. but like, yeah, you're essentially top roping it, even though you're leading it, right? So it's like, what a trip! Like yeah, that, yeah, this sure. dude was like, okay, cool. No, I was, I was extremely lucky in finding <laughs> Danford. I had a few friends like um recommend him <laughs> to me, and uh, yeah, we basically met for coffee, and I was, I'm sure, I came across as kind of a, a bit of a crazy person, but yeah, I was like, I've got all this water stashed on the entire route. I have all the stuff rehearsed. I have everything that we need to like go do this. It's ready to go. I just need a, a partner and I need to leave. Like we need to do it in the next couple of days. And right. it might take me, my range I gave him was eight to 12 days. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I had enough water stashed for us to be 12 days. Cause I just like, I didn't know, you know, like you can just only try these pitches like a couple times in a day, really. So like if I, do have a day it doesn't go then i need a rest day and then i need another day like it could easily have you know added added up to i I gave myself 12 days worth of supplies to make sure that the reason for failure was like a mental and physical reason not because i just like logistically didn't plan properly that was like right right um, right kind of part of my strategy it was was like very well very thought out and planned Um, yeah that's cool yeah and so i was like Um, yeah we could be eight days we could be up to 12 days like what was it in the end? Uh, eight. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So kind of just like right on schedule sending, did the down climb in those exact, those like two days that I left myself for the down climb, sent it on the second day, had a rest day there before setting off into what, what you referred to as the unknown, <laughs> setting off into right. the, the like committing top half. And then each time I arrived at a crux, I sent one a day, like oh, the, nice. the move on day five, the golden desert on day six the a5 on day seven and then we talked i mean that's like machine thinking i love it you're just like i'm not gonna like i mean because my ascent you know which was like you know five five twelve a2 or whatever a1 was like the absolute opposite of that i was just like i don't know shit about this (laughs) let's go up there and like check it out (laughs) but i mean i had no but i had no 
pretense of freeing it. Mm-hmm. Um, that was not the mission. It was just to go up there and see what it was like. But anyway, but it's, I, I love that, that thinking of like, and having that restraint in a lot of ways of like, I'm going to do this pitch and then I'm done for the day, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, I think you just can't, I, like if, if you trash right. yourself early on, then you've just, you've kind of, you've yeah. ruined it. It's it's awesome pacing. Um, okay, so I guess my last question is that did you also have a horrible time on the very last teeny dih- dihedral on yes. top of the final pitch? Oh my gosh, that is so hard. It gets eleven B. So it's okay because so Jor- Jordan Cannon, that. who's like way taller than both of us, has also complained about that move. So yeah, um. no, I was like very concerned about that. I had like never successfully sent that like 511 b pitch that was like the last pitch i mean arriving there i'm obviously like okay i'm not like about to not send golden gate because of this 11 b like i actually still have four days of food and water with me left <laughs> right i'll <laughs> sit here at so the i guess like the this... time pressure was nice not to have um it's I... like a six foot dihedral <laughs> yeah. or like seven foot dihedral yeah it's like the oh, only it thing between desperate. you and the top yeah for sure i was like freaking out there i was so tired and like it's it's like weird granite like no holds kind of just like stemmy chimney layback like i I mean it's kind of all three Um, yeah yeah but (laughs) yeah i i didn't fall there but i felt like i had to try really really hard and i was like almost off definitely that's cool Um, (laughs) i think i think i have some messages with jacob um about that (laughs) like i don't know if i could send like i send the a5 you know and like it's 511 to the top from there i'm like i don't know there's still that top pitch (laughs) yeah exactly so well like i said you're not alone oh yeah that was just yeah but um yeah i mean I, i was pretty excited to see that story when it came out um and again referencing our first podcast together with with Jacob you know I listened to it again just to kind of prepare for this and and um you know your level of experience and and Jacob's are you know at least his climbers is pretty different still at that time although although you know it was after free rider and so you'd learned a lot but you know it just like it was equal time for both you guys but there was that theme of like you know having sort of gone on all these adventures where where Jacob was climbing harder than you or whatever and I just loved that this was like I don't know it really seemed I mean it had happened before it wasn't the only time but um up to that point but it was real symbolic of like this was your thing and this was you you know doing this rad thing that that wasn't necessarily connected and um I just thought it was like a really great story I don't know if you felt that way too as far as like a you know a step a big step in your your sort of climbing as an independent climber yeah 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 definitely no i think i've my climbing progression i've been um i was like super fortunate to be able to um learn so much from jacob and it was definitely like partners and (laughs) girlfriend boyfriend and now we're married but um it was like this mentorship relationship i mean yeah he's been climbing since he was seven um he was like a competition kid climber and then started going on these expeditions and free climb del cap and and, you know had been a professional climber for a while um and i just like was able to improve so fast through climbing with him and through learning how he goes about all of all of his climbing and definitely i have noticed like uh, a kind of step in the last like couple years that i think i've started to really have my own goals that are quite separate from his goals and like stepping off and going on these like big projects or these big missions and kind of creating my own team and i mean we still totally 
do a lot of trips together. We're going to Greenland together right now. So that like climbing partnership is, is also incredible still. But I'm definitely like, yeah, so, like setting my own goals and having like sort of my own independent um, path in climbing right now, which is really exciting. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I love it because I mean, there there's obviously like nothing wrong with like locking in with a partner and you know everybody starts climbing somewhere and and that's how you started climbing and and you know it worked out great but you know i i do love the fact that you are finding um the both of you are finding separate things to do because i mean you know you you guys are sort of a climbing power couple in a way um is is embarrassing as that might sound <laughs> to you but the thing is is those those kind of things can you know where you guys that's all you do is climb with each other which can be cool it can also be unhealthy <laughs> you know um depending on the relationship so i just think it's great that you know you've got this these two separate identities now that also come together um and even looking at your social media i was like god they 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 seem to even be like you know purposely like not spraying about each other is that something i'm perceiving or is it, hmm. it is that um yeah i mean i don't know i think We've definitely, especially this year, we seem to have had like totally different trips and goals and and mm -hmm. sort of big things we've been involved with. Um, we actually only spent about a week together in the last six months, which was like kind of crazy. Had Christmas dinner together overlapping as I was leaving Mexico and he was arriving. Um, <laughs> but but that's about to change because we're about to spend you know, okay. two months All in right. a tent together on, in Greenland. Um, okay, but, cool. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, we still talk like basically every single day. Yeah, I don't think we've explicitly said that we're not oh, okay. sharing. <laughs> sharing. I still like to <laughs> kind of post about something if I think he's done something cool. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, definitely all of our our like posts and also just like all our adventures are not just like together like all the time. We also have like big big dreams that are separate sometimes, and especially this winter that seemed to be really the case. But man, we're we're like running out of time here, <laughs> and I have so much on my list still. Um, uh, the ghost. What did you do in the ghost? Just oh, not very much. So actually, no. um, yeah, the the ghost in the kind of Canmore area. Um, I was actually out there taking my full rock guide certification. So okay. um, I was just being examined <laughs> in the ghost for a week. But I mean, that's also very relevant to my like kind of climbing stuff going on for me right now. I'm like now operating as an independent freelance guide in Squamish. I don't need to work as an apprentice for other companies and uh, kind of running some fun, like kind of advanced courses. I'm running a handful of big wall clinics this year. Um, just had... Mm -hmm. Uh, kind of had a wait list for them and opened up another set of dates. They seem to be like pretty popular, which is exciting. And some like fear of falling kind of like mental strategy clinics and, and yeah, kind of some like really fun, more maybe intermediate to advanced sort of topics that I'm exploring that are pretty fun. Yeah. So the guiding things coming on strong as part of your sort of career and income. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. Not this summer because I'm leaving for most of the season right. to go to Greenland, right. but right. <laughs> reach out to me next summer. I'll be doing much more guiding then. Let me just get you to finish up with um, with talking a little bit about Cochimo and that adventure. You've just been posting about it, even though it happened a little while back, kind of finishing the story. Tell me a little bit about that adventure. Yeah. Um, so I spent uh, a chunk of this winter down in Cochimo, which is in Chile. Um, it was actually my first time in South America. Uh, and that was part of a trip put together by my friend Hayden, who I mentioned earlier, the, the friend mm -hmm. who went down to repeat El Gabalan and Los Nojales. And he, yeah, kind of pulled together a team with the objective of getting the first free ascent of an aid line uh, down there called Picaflor, which means hummingbird, 
hummingbird. Yeah. I mean, it's like an elk at wall. Uh, you, you've you spent time down in Cochimo as well, right? Well, that's been right. To all these yeah. places. Um, yeah, Cochimo is kind of. I've seen... been around a little while. <laughs> yeah. Cochimo is seen as like the Yosemite of. Uh, of South America, or as they like to call it, Yosemite is the, the Cochimo of North America. Um, and uh, yeah, it was just as incredible as, as I could have imagined it being. Just these huge granite faces and domes rising out of these multiple valleys. And the, the one that we were working on, Capicua, uh, was, was you know, super uh, similar to El Cap. It was a kilometer tall um, pretty slabby for the first part and then kicks back and gets steep for the top part and just like immaculate quality granite. Yeah, it had a, an aid line up it that had been established about five years ago and Hayden wanted to pull together a team to try and free the line. How was the weather? Actually, we we once again lucked out with weather for this one. I arrived in a, a pretty wet, cold period. It was rainy and cold for a few days which actually ended up killing off all the tabanos. So the tabanos are the, the big bugs, if you remember. Super annoying. Yeah, yeah, the big horse flies. flies yeah, that, yeah. that are actually quite painful when they bite you. So when I arrived, people there were complaining about the tabanos a lot. And there was just this like three-day cold spell. It killed off all the bugs. And then it was sunny for three weeks. Like the oh, whole time man. we were working on the wall. Come on. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> the whole like thrust of my trip was the fact that it rained the whole damn time. But mm. um. Yeah, I yeah, hear yeah. that. I hear stories of that. Yeah. And then we left yeah. actually and the next month was rainy. Really? Yeah. <laughs> and uh but you guys ended up not quite pulling it off. Right? We didn't quite. Yeah. So we we'd had some uh some sense of like the expected difficulty of the free pitches from the, the guy who put the route up. Um, but they, they ended up being like kind of far off and it <laughs> ended up being like a lot harder than we were expecting. Like just the, the right. pitch difficulties were a lot harder. Um, there were a lot of pitches of like five twelve slab, um, and then I think in the end there ended up being four or five pitches, five pitches of five thirteen, and one pitch of still unknown thirteen D or fourteen A. We think um, we didn't send it, right? Uh, and yeah, so just like the the climb itself ended up just like being a notch harder than we expected, um, mm-hmm. and just like. To make the free climbing possible, we we ended up having to do quite a lot of cleaning and bolting, um, okay. just because of just the nature of the the rock in in Cochimo, um, does seem to follow a lot of slab and and like f- flared seams that are you can't right. really protect them. So um, we had a power drill down there with us, and we and we brought a lot of bolts kind of in case, and then we ended up adding a lot of bolts <laughs> yeah <laughs> to just like be able to make the the line freeable i mean they were aiding on beaks like up these seams that you just couldn't really place gear in so just like by the time we managed to kind of set up the route for free climbing establish mm-hmm. how hard the pitches were going to be and then start rehearsing them we kind of a combination of like ran out of time and also just like kind of got our heads hit up against this this like crux probably 13 plus 14 minus slab pitch right in the middle pitch 20 so kind right. of a hard one to work if it's on pitch 20 <laughs> um but an incredible adventure and like team teamwork to actually like get accomplished the amount that we did accomplish um i mean we managed to set up the whole route for free climbing and managed to send every pitch except for the crux uh, which did include like a bunch of sort of 12 plus and, and a handful of 13 minus pitches which was sure. like but, I mean, I think it was still a huge success what we managed to accomplish down there. For me, like my, what stands out the most for me about this trip compared to any other goals that I've 
um, work towards um, was this kind of team-free um, mentality. Uh, so mm-hmm. what once we realized how challenging, um, like how many crux pitches basically this route had, um, it seemed not really possible in our time frame to uh, for like one person to send the whole route. Like I wasn't going to send the whole route. Hayden wasn't going to send the whole route. And so what we did was we divided up all the crux pitches between uh, Danford, Hayden, and I, um, and then just like worked on them by micro direction. So we had fixed ropes basically up the whole cliff. We had a, a we'd each been assigned or chosen our like couple of cruxes that we were working on, and we would like camp together. We had a base camp at pitch nine, and every day we would just split and go and work on micro traction <laughs> on all of our pitches, like just by yourself in the middle of this huge wall. You know, going up and down your your like crux pitch. My pitches were pitch seventeen and pitch twenty three. Or like the two pitches I was working on, um, and and then you would like come back down, camp together, discuss what your progress was, and then each time someone was like ready to lead a pitch, then we would all go like support, cheer them on, belay them. They'd take it off. It was kind of like this exciting tick because it was sort of like a stepping stone for us taking the whole the whole cliff, and then we'd go back to our little like separate projects. So in some ways it was like a very team, like this big team project, but also involved a lot of solo time, just like up there by yourself, figuring it out. You'd submit, submit your TPS reports at the end of the day to corporate. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Accomplished this today. Did the move (laughs) at bolt five. We're going to have, we're, we're having a a performance review um, later this afternoon, Bronwyn. We're going to have to talk a little bit about pitch 17. We thought you'd be a little bit further along by now. (laughs) Oh man. Pitch 17. Really? I think it took me like six or seven days to get pitch 17. That was like my long project. And Danforth was back. And Danford was back. Yeah, exactly. Danford. So Danford, who I'd climbed Golden Gate with, um, is actually a friend of Hayden's. And, and um, oh, cool. he had Hayden was also in the valley when I climbed Golden Gate. He did uh, free rider in a day that season. Had been kind of his big goal for the season. And I reached out to him asking if he knew anyone who might be uh, able to support me on Golden Gate. And he, he linked uh, Danford and I up uh, in the first place. So then, and then this trip ended up being uh, the three of us for most of it. You're leading this sort of charmed expedition one after another life. How long are you going to keep this thing going? <laughs> uh, I don't know. It still uh, seems like a lot of fun, and it seems like I'm right in it right now, so I don't have any, any plans of pulling back anytime soon. All right, folks, thanks for listening, and thanks to Braun for doing that just before splitting to the Arctic. Or maybe it's not quite the Arctic. I don't know. Is it Greenland in the Arctic? Some of it must be. Follow Bronwyn over there at Instagram to find out what's going on with that. Maybe not till they get out. Or follow Jacob Cook over there at Instagram. Or if you check out YouTube, Jacob Cook's channel's got a bunch of great videos. Those guys are really good at making fun, kind of lo-fi videos uh, around their climbing exploits. So go over there and check that all out. And remember, you can support the Enormacast by obviously supporting our sponsors. But if you don't feel like doing that, get your gear elsewhere. I get it. Got your loyalties. Anyhow, feel free to go to enormacast.com and click on the donate button feel like kicking down a little bit for the entertainment, inspiration, whatever, anger, rage, 
maybe, that this podcast brings you. How much is rage worth? It's got to be worth something. Don't feel rage when you're climbing, though. Feel good thoughts. Pay attention. Feel safe thoughts. Can you feel safety? Is safety a feeling? I think it is. Of course, check your knots. Earth is a place that I've uh, I've come to love, and I feel it's a, a second home, and I'm very protective of the humans because they're so helpless and ridiculous. <laughs>